just as you are before your God. Come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One every tongue will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains the God who gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come. Just as you are before your God, come. One day every tongue will confess you are God. One day every knee will bow. Still the greatest treasure remains of those who gladly choose you now. Willingly we choose to surrender our lives. Willingly our knees will bow. With all of the hearts and minds and we gladly choose you now. Come, now is the time to worship. Come. Now is the time to give your heart. Come, now is the time to worship. Come, just as you are before your God. Come, come. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for love is, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Lord, you have demonstrated your great love, your great kindness. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we are changed. We ask that you would continue to empower us, that we would live lives demonstrating your great mercy, your great forgiveness, and your great grace in this world. That we would love as you have loved, pointing people to the source of knowledge, the source of wisdom, and to the source of love, which is you. That our lives be transformed, and your great name glorified. In Christ's name we pray, amen. God is 
was an awesome God he reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Our God is an awesome God. Our God is an awesome God he reigns from heaven above with wisdom, power, and love. Shelby, we're going to try it, but the weather is, <laughs> yeah, so just a heads up, so keep praying for them, they're still working on getting out and about and having longer excursions, but not until it warms up a little bit, and I can't say as I blame them, so, um, being prayer for a couple of different folks, as far as weather, that's why some people aren't getting out and about, uh, Daryl was here for Sunday school and left because uh, Ginger's dad's house, the pipe froze and then burst. So they're trying to get that straightened out, and it's the pipe that comes up from the well into the house, so it's so it's exposed, and then part of it's under the house, so he doesn't know where he's got to get to try to figure it out, so fun, fun, fun. I said, how long? He's been there for 20 years. How does he not know to keep that? He goes, he, he has some heat strips that are supposed to be on it to keep it from freezing, and apparently they didn't work, so he wasn't running the faucet because he thought the strips were going to keep it warm, and it didn't, so wee, such fun. So if your pipes are in good shape, just keep a check on them. <laughs> <laughs> um, something I forgot to mention last week that I will mention this week because I remembered I wrote it down, go me that um, last Sunday of the month which would be the 28th this month we're working on lunch lunch, here, Jim bring a dish that, that you can share sound good? so Sunday yep. the 28th, do what? we don't care what Pritzker allows <laughs> we're doing it anyway and if he comes in we'll let him have lunch well, you know, it's the chance we take. <laughs> I know we're talking about your favorite person now, so 
So yeah, bring a dish. Make sure you get ready enough for somebody. So there you go, 28th after lunch on that Sunday. Read your bulletin. It'll do you good. It was probably in there before I forgot to say anything. And if it wasn't, it'll be in there next week. So there you go. Anything else I am forgetting? Uh-oh, I see a hand. That's right. You are getting stuck on Thursday. So Mike's getting another round of injections for that disc in his back Thursday. Yes, we're, you're hoping this one works because after this, we're basically cutting you open. And I have already made the offer that we've got a saw in the back and a rubber mallet for anesthesia, and we've got some good ceiling tiles that we think could brace that real well. You'll help, right, Clark? Yeah, see? We'll even let you do the anesthesia, Jane. You can have the mallet just every time he goes, what's it going? And you're whack. <laughs> yeah, keep him under, right? This, this is a good plan. It's, it's sad when Mike won't engage with Mike and Mike's home surgery solutions, I'm telling you. <laughs> so, yeah, so be in prayer for Mike this week. Hopefully those, uh, those injections work. Pray that they do because nobody wants to get cut on. And that's unfortunately, I think, what the next step is if this doesn't work. So be in prayer for that. Um, anything else? All right. Abraham pleaded with God not to destroy what city? Everybody knows this Sodom. Um, two lessons from this. Two fun lessons from this. One, how many righteous people were there in Sodom? None. <laughs> no, not one. No, not one. <laughs> not even Lot. Because when Lot was given the chance to get away, he's like, yeah, you know, I, uh, angels literally had to kick him out and drag him kicking and screaming. So the point of the matter is God's judgment comes because there are none who are righteous. Romans quote Psalm and make the same point. But the second thing is, who does Abraham picture in this work? The Abraham functions as a picture of Christ here, pleading on behalf of the people not to destroy them. He is, he is being the intermediary between the people and God, the person who stands between and basically negotiates on their behalf. Just so happens they had no means by which Abraham could negotiate anything. Hey, if they're righteous, don't kill them. And God said, deal. There's the problem. Uh, well, see, this is the good news of the, of, the, of the gospel message. Abraham's a picture of Christ. Christ actually is Christ. So Abraham has no means by which to negotiate for the people. Jesus does. Jesus says, no, don't destroy these people because they are righteous. Why? Because I have given them righteousness. He's the better mediator of a better covenant. So don't say this one out loud. You know this one. Who was the father of Joshua? Don't say it. You probably know because throughout your Bible, he's listed as, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Again, reason for the question is important. This one's, I just want you thinking about this. Why do we care about this information? And the reason I ask you that is when the Bible tells you something repeatedly over and over and over and over and over again, there's probably a good reason for it. So have some fun, read your Bible, it'll do you good, and see if you can figure out why in the world we would care who Joshua's dad is. All right, last chance for anything I'm forgetting that we need to talk about. So you've been warned, oh, Church council, today, after service, church council, handful of things, not much, should be a short meeting. So church council today, that means business meeting next Sunday. Jonathan, you've been warned. And following Sunday, the 28th, bring a dish, we're having lunch, all right? Not today, in two weeks. <laughs> no, notice who's paying attention and who's not paying attention. It's my kid. Oh, wait, we're at lunch? What? And the kid who doesn't eat is like, what, we're having food? <laughs> it's the one who doesn't eat who's the most excited. The one who doesn't eat anything wants to help cook everything, but he don't want to eat it all. Mm -hmm. Wrap your brain around that. Yes, as long as there's bread, he'll be happy. 
Again, what you thought was a punishment. Bread and water. That's what my kid lives on. It's not a punishment. It's, it's, it's the bounty of the earth, apparently. There you go. He, he wouldn't eat the manna. He'd starve to death. It's not chicken nuggets. I can't slice it. I'd have, to, I'd have to mold the manna into a loaf so he could, you know, pull chunks of it off, apparently. So there you go. <sighs> anyway, is there anything else? In that case, I'm going to stop talking so we can continue on with music. You're in the battle for the Lord and the right. Keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, you'll you Just keep on the firing line. There are many dangers up there on But they are fighting in the
share the laugh of the morning is I look and Cameron's standing there looking up and around. And like, what's the matter? She goes, are the lights moving? Well, yeah, some of them are because the ones right here and right there are right in front of the vents. So when the air is running in any kind, if you stare at it closely, you'll actually notice it just, just sway, just gently, ever so slightly. So, <laughs> I if I thought about it, it should have been like, no, why? <laughs> well, it was, it was giving her eyes. She was looking. She's like, is the light above Marsha moving? I'm like. It's just like, well, yeah, it's moving. It's right in front of a vent. That one does it, and then that one does it. And that's why they hang from those little ropes. And it's, it's, But yeah, next time I got to remember, it'd be like, no, why? Because sure, are you sure it looks awful stationary to me? <laughs> Here, I'll ask this week. Did we remember? Go team. I can edit that out. See, I have that technology. <laughs> Last week, Elena goes, Cameron asked me a question, and I forgot to record anything. I'm like, okay. So pulled from the live stream and I uploaded a blank video to YouTube because I can still convert the file and it lets me do that. So I figured out a way to cheat the system because we actually have a handful of folks that keep up with us that way since they can't be here right now. So try to make sure I keep up with them as best we can. So with all of that said, I warned you last week to enjoy the short, the short section because it's over this week. <laughs> Much to do and less time to do it in. I put it into the computer and it takes up like lines in the computer. It's like, that's a lot of stuff. We're going to get through it. We're going to make it. We're going to beat the Lutherans to lunch today. We are going to make it. We will be on time. See, here it's the Lutherans. In North Carolina, it was always the Methodists because there's Baptists and Methodists, and that's about it. But here we got to get to the Lutherans, right? We get there. They're the ones who are going to be in front of you. But then again, where are you going to go to lunch anyway? It's not like you can, they can, they're going to beat you to the buffet. There's, you can't go. <laughs> they're, they're open now. So, all right. Exodus 14. Reminder, we have left Egypt, but, 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 judgment is not complete, therefore deliverance is not complete. This is part of your now, not yet of scripture. Are you fully saved if sin has not been fully judged? The answer is no, because there's still the opportunity for something to kind of, it's like the bad horror movies at the end, you know, remember all the bad horror movies in the 80s? They always did that right before the credits is everybody's fine and everything's okay and we're all at home and then the bad guy shows up and grabs somebody before they cut to the credits. See, that's why sin has to be fully judged. You're like, how does this relate to anything? I promise it makes sense. Just follow me here. In order for, in order for deliverance to be complete, for salvation to be total, judgment on the other side must also be total. It's not enough to just pull you away. You must also crush evil and iniquity in all of its forms so that it will never trouble anyone again. You get a picture of that with the work of Exodus. Now, last week we gave Pharaoh a hard time. This week we're going to give everybody a hard time. Because this is the week of doubts. Doubts from Israel, doubts from Pharaoh, whining, complaining, you name it. It's there and more. Exodus 14, we're doing the whole chapter, all 31 verses. So let's dive right in. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back and camp before pi Hahiroth between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal Zephon, opposite it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the sons of Israel. They are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. 
Thus I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made his chariot ready, and he took his people with him, and he took 600 select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he chased after the sons of Israel, as the sons of Israel were going out boldly. Then the Egyptians chased after them with all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pahiroth in front of Baal Zephon. Again, if you're looking for places for names, you ever discover somebody, that's a good one to start with. It's, the heat's running, I'm drying out till water breaks. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you have seen today, you will never see them again. Or so you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. As for you, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up their pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. And at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the armies of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and, the cl and cloud and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve, and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, Let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak, while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. Then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the I'm sorry, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. 
<sighs> all right. You can see why we're doing all of this today, because where do you cut that? Like, there's just no good spot to divide that. So back to the beginning, and I promise we'll go through this in chunks. It'll be worth it. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell the sons of Israel to turn back, camp before, I'm tired of saying this place, Pi-ha-hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, and you shall camp in front of Baal-zaphon opposite it. Now, I've warned you before, I will warn you again, we have no idea where this is. Names have, names have changed places, they've renamed stuff with this. Like, we know about, it's somewhere on the western shore of the Red Sea, but beyond that, I got nothing. So, why is it in here? Like, if we don't know where it is, why put it here? And the answer is in 2 Peter chapter 1. Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. Every single fairy tale, how does it start? Once upon a time, and how does it end? And they all lived happily ever after. There are no once upon a times with God. There are no made up places. There are no made up dates. What you have are actual places. Why? Because Moses wrote them down. I don't know where they are and I can't point them to you on a map. That's what happens when you lose 3,500 years of history. It happens. We've gone from 1491 BC to 2021 AD. It's been a while, but they were there. They were written down. They were actual places, and Moses could detail. I mean, if you sat down in the Israelite camp and asked Moses the route, he could sit there, look at the map, and go, we were here, and then we stopped here, and then we camped here, and we crossed over here, and then we camped here, and he could dot all of this out. There are no fairy tales. There are no uh, accidents. There are no, eh, you know, it's, it's here-ish. God is precise. And again, I point this out because if you were going to make up a story, because I know, I have to say if, because none of you ever made up a story to tell your parents who you were with and what you were doing and where you went, right? None of you did that. When you started to do that, how many details did you have in that story? As few as humanly possible. Why? Because you don't want them to ask any questions. You don't want to have to remember the details next week. You just want general vagueness, right? That's why we joke. Where are you going? Out. When will you be back? Later. Who are you going to be with? Some people. What are you going to do? Some stuff. <laughs> I don't know. Uh-huh. Why? Because the fewer details, the better for everyone involved. Notice what your Bible does. It's detail after detail after detail. Where we were standing, what day it was, the wind was coming from which direction. It is in here because this is God reminding you. Now, the one thing we are certain of are the last three words there. By the sea. We can nail this down. This is not a good place. If you were uh, assembling an army, you know what you don't do? March too close to the sea. You know why? Because you got nowhere to escape. Can't go running through the deep, deep water, so it's either turn or fight or we're all dead. So this becomes a problem. Now, who has brought them here? Notice this. Go back to verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go camp in this militarily dumb position so that stuff will happen. And that stuff is in verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the sons of Israel, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. See, Pharaoh's going to say, well, they couldn't go through the desert, so they don't know what to do, so they turn to the south, and that's just dumb because now they're penned in by the sea. Now, if you're a smart military mind like Pharaoh, you've just been given an advantage, right? They can't run away. They can't escape. We got them. If you're Pharaoh, you should be quoting Scooby right now. Ruh -roh. Your thought is, we're going to be able to go after them. 
They're penned in. They're shut in. Why has all of this happened? Not only has God wanted it to happen, what is it? It's the deliverance of Israel, but it's also what? It's the judgment on Pharaoh and on Egypt. See, at some point, your brain should look at you and go, wait a minute. If it's too good to be true, it probably is. Not thinking. Pharaoh's not doing this evaluation. Why not? Paul actually gives you this answer in Romans 1. When Paul's describing the effects of sin, he finishes it up with this. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. That's a list. And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. You ever wonder why people seemingly double down on sin? That's your answer. When confronted, see, this is, this is one of the reasons why I say we have to bring the message of the gospel to bear on culture. Because if you don't, you are painting people in a corner and it never works. As a Christian, how often do you react well to finding out you're in sin? I mean, initially. Like that very initial, do you always go, oh, I'm so terribly sorry, I can't believe I did that. How awful of me. Or do you go, no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you typically start there, and then what happens? Holy Spirit whacks you in the back of the head, kicks you in the butt a couple times, and you go, sorry, I was wrong. And then you go down the road of repentance. That's because you have the Holy Spirit. Take the Holy Spirit out of the equation, and what do you do? You turn into an overgrown four-year-old. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. Yeah, you start to argue, you, and you'll eventually do what? you will double down because not only not only am I going to deny that I have done this thing, I'm going to get mad at you for accusing me of doing this thing, and then I'm going to go do what? I'm going to go find other people who will tell me how the thing that I didn't do wasn't that bad even if I did it. Although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. It's the same thing. You won't tell me I did the right thing, so I will find someone who will. And if, the, if enough of us agree, we will make you shut up. Somehow, some way, some shape, or fashion. Welcome to the world in which you live, huh? Because what? Sin corrupts. It corrupts totally. But it also lies. And you know what? I don't care how deluded you are. If you get lied to enough, you know what you eventually start realizing? That I'm being lied. And even though I don't know what I'm being lied to about, you just kind of get that something. I don't know what it is, but something is wrong. And the only thing that makes it worse is you keep telling me it's wrong. So eventually I need you to stop talking. And that's the delusion of sin. You're going to see it in real time with Pharaoh. So, verse 4. Thus, this is God still speaking, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will chase after them, talking about the people, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. And, of course, the Israelites do so. All right, last time we have to deal with this, though, because this is important. Because someone will ask you this question eventually, and you need to at least know there's an answer. Did God harden Pharaoh's heart, or did Pharaoh harden Pharaoh's heart? We've dealt with this before. This will be the last time we do it. The answer is easy. It is yes. <laughs> it is yes. And the reason that I say that is, 
what does God have to actively do to you to get you to sin? <laughs> Nothing. Just leave you alone. What changes the hearts and minds of men? God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Remove that power and what will you do? Why? Because what do I want to do? Sin. James chapter 1 gives you a good example of this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Well, that was pretty quick, wasn't it? Why not? For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. See, and don't just think of lust as a sexual term. Like a two-year-old staring at a cookie has lust. For that cookie, right? Like, nah. Now, what happens when their three-year-old sibling gets to the cookie before they do? <laughs> Welcome to the description right here. When lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Why? Because I want that cookie, therefore I need my cookie. My cookie. So if you get to it before I did, what have you done? You took my cookie, which means I am now justified in doing what? Anything necessary to retrieve my cookie. Thus, the two-year-old punches the three-year-old, takes the cookie, and now everybody's crying, and you walk into the room and go, what just happened? <laughs> there you go. Welcome to sin in all of its glory. Now, that's a silly example because of all the problems in life, if that was the biggest problem we ever had, we'd be like, life is so amazing. But that's what's going on on a grand scale here. Pharaoh has hardened his heart. God takes credit for it because who raised Pharaoh up? God did. Was God shocked that this guy is in charge of Egypt? No. God orchestrated and arranged and laid out his creation so that Pharaoh, this Pharaoh, would be in charge of Egypt at this time. Why? Because this evil guy needs to be in charge so that judgment can be brought forth. And by the way, not a thing has changed in life about that. Paul remarks about this. The New Testament remarks about this in its totality. But just realize that in a world full of sin, which is our world, sin is going to work Sin is going to bear its fruit, and we should not be surprised by it. The answer is not, why is God doing this to them? It's, God, save them. And that's the difference. The problem is not that, well, I can't believe God would harden Pharaoh's heart. Again, what does he have to do to harden Pharaoh's heart? Just to sit there and go, yeah, what you doing? <laughs> that's not a good idea. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I mean, that's the extent of it. That's all God has to do, and here we go. So, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his servants had a change of heart toward the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? All right, time out. You know the answer. Why has Israel been let go from serving the Egyptians? You know, this little thing like the death of the firstborn, which followed the darkness, which followed the hail, which followed the death of the cattle, which followed the, you know, the boils, and I'm missing, my brain doesn't want to find them all. Frogs, locusts, flies, thank you. You got the, got the jump start going. I said the boils, the river turned to blood. I mean, there's a long, healthy, good list of reasons why we let the Israelites go. And now Pharaoh, after he's sitting around going, I can't, are we dumb? Why did we do this? See, it's almost schizophrenic, isn't it? It's almost like this guy over here doesn't know what that guy over there is doing, but they're the same guy. Again, James chapter 1 gives you an answer. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. 
But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. When we did James in our Wednesday night Bible study, one of the things I pointed out was that James is talking about the gospel. He's talking about the message of salvation. So when he's saying, ask of God for wisdom, he's talking about asking God for the fruit of salvation. The double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways because he doubts when he asks of God. He doubts when he asks of God because he does not trust God, which means he is not secure in him because he is not saved. The double-minded man is the man lost in his sin. Pharaoh, as we know, a picture of judgment, is lost in his sin. Therefore, by definition, he will be what? Double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. Why do we know that? Here you go. Well, I can't believe we let the Israelites go. I can. Your kid died last night. Don't you remember that? <clears throat> had nothing to do with it. Got to be a better reason. I mean, it's dumb. And yet, what's going on constantly? So, fast forward. He made his chariot, took his people with him. I'm, we read it once. I'm going to save us a little bit of time. Skip down all the way through verse 9, because that's where this ends. He's raising up his army. He's traveling after Israel. Who remembers how Israel is traveling? Exodus 13, hence God led the people around the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. So Israel is marching out like an army, and they are now camped like an army by the shore of the Red Sea. So one army is coming with its chariots, and it's going to find another army back to the sea. <sighs> there will be no Monty Python runaway escape. There's a battle coming. And Israel has asked for it by the way they've laid themselves out, by the way they've traveled. Again, whose fault is it that they traveled this direction? God's. Whose fault is it that they're laid out like a military camp? Theirs. Remember, God led them away to avoid battle, and they said, we better go up ready for battle. All right, you went up ready for battle. All right, here we go. As Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. That's got to be a fun look. And they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. How did Israel arrange themselves? Prepared for battle. Now that battle is here, it's what? <laughs> yeah, now I'm scared. It's, it's that old pirate joke. Bring me my red shirt. Why? Because if I get shot, the, the men won't see that I'm bleeding. And Sure, sir, there's five more ships. Bring me my brown pants. I'll let you figure that one out. See, there you go. Say. I was reminded of a quote because we were talking boxing on a Wednesday night, and so Daryl had to go. That, that he, he would like this one. Um, it's an old Mike Tyson quote. Everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. <laughs> we know you will. And we would all watch that fight <laughs> and bet on Tyson and collect our winnings. <laughs> it's nothing personal. Well, maybe it's a little bit. <laughs> I mean... Why, it's a good idea. We're going to go marching. We're going to go out marching in martial array, prepared for wherever God will lead us. The Egyptians. <laughs> they had a plan, right? Until danger came, and now suddenly we're running, screaming. This is the definition of tails tucked between your legs here. Then they said to Moses, I almost don't have the energy for these people. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt 
that you have taken it. You almost need your scarlet little hair voice for this. Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? All right, keep going. I'm on a roll here. We'll keep going with it. Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. See, it needs that. It doesn't. Can you get more dramatic? I made this joke in Sunday school. I'll make it again. Don't you want to look down and be like, Are you done, Nancy? I mean, are, are, are you good? Are you over yourself? I mean, this is. I made a big deal last week to throw Pharaoh under the bus because Pharaoh didn't learn, right? Uh oh. <laughs> yes, that happened. Matt's peeking his head at it like, did you just do that? <laughs> Sorry. Every once in a while, it, it, that pops into my head about Tuesday, and I'm like, it's too good. I, I, I've got to. Again, keep. Yes, got to keep you guys engaged. And look, you, 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 you know, you make sure you tip your waitress. You know, try the veal; it'll be good. <laughs> I, I made a point to throw Pharaoh under the bus because when confronted with the power of God, what should be the reaction? And the comparison was was the Philippian jailer, right? Someone who had the wrath poured out in, a, in, a, in an indirect way. So Pharaoh has seen the mighty acts of God. We made a big deal when we went through the Ten Commandments of, of explaining how. These were not just random occurrences, but God was systematically going through the pantheon of Egypt, all the gods of Egypt, and undermining and destroying them. So when you're done, you're standing in, Israel, in Egypt going, there's nobody left. There's no one to pray to. There's no one to offer to. Pharaoh, representative of the gods on earth, has been defeated in his own household by Yahweh. There's no one to go to. There's nowhere to turn. When that happens, where should you have turned? Like the Philippian jailer, you walk in, what must I do to be saved? And then he's baptized. I didn't read that. You can read the rest of that. Conversely, if you're Egypt, you have seen God. Literally, he's walking in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You have seen the power, you have heard the words, you have seen the manifestations of everything. What should be the reaction? I like Job for this, because Job, after 20 plus chapters of, I want a trial with God, because I think if God hears my case, he'll tell me this. Well, God finally shows up and talks to him, and this is Job's response. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Here, now, I will speak and I will ask you and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. See, that's the response that you should get. This is the response we'll get in a couple of weeks when we get to the mountain. And God comes down in the thunder and the lightning and the quaking and he tells Moses that, don't let the people of Israel come up to the mountain. And the people of the mountain, people of Israel are at the bottom of the mountain going, we don't want to come up. You go talk to him. We're going to stay right here. That should be the reaction. Not this. This is also double-minded and unstable in all of its ways. Again, what changes the hearts and minds of men? The work of God applied directly to them. So Moses says to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. I like that. There's a good response. That's what it should look like. And again, lesson for Israel. The vast majority of Israel in your Old Testament. Hang on. Ah, I am just dry as I am dry as a desert today. The heat running is trying to keep it warm. Is everybody good? Well, you're always freezing, so we don't ask you. <laughs> actually, you should probably move back two rows because then you'd be in line with the fence. That might actually help. But yeah, I do have it set at seventy. If we're if we're just cold, cold, we can bump it. But just let me know. <laughs> We'll just build you a little fire, burn a chair for warmth. But with the heat running constantly, because it is so cold outside, the heat just runs. That it, I'm on a vent, and so I'm just like... <laughs> so this is a good response and a reminder that throughout the history of the Old Testament, the vast majority of Israel is whining Scarlet O'Hara voice and not firm, powerful Moses voice. The majority of Israel is double-minded, unstable in all of their ways, chasing after their own lust, following after Baal, following after Chemosh, following after Molech, turning to anything but the God of Israel. But with that, we get a great picture of a remnant. And this matters because Christian, the vast majority of the world in which you live in, loves God and seeks to serve him with all of his heart, right? I gave the statistic on a Wednesday for Bible study. Don't say it out loud, because I know what you're going to think of the minute I give you this number. So I'm just warning you, because I thought it, and I know you'll think it too. Um, I forget who did the survey, but of the 535 members of Congress, all right, think about who's in Congress. 435 co uh, congressmen, 100 senators. Of those 535 people, 88% of them claim to be Christians. Don't say, I, I know what you thought. Don't say it. <laughs> I did the math. I should do it again. That, that works out to something like 420 of them or something like that. Now, let's just be honest. If 88% of our Congress were actual Christians, would we get the policies that we have? No. Would we have the legislation that we have? No. Would we have the political divide that we have? No. Which means... The vast majority of them are either lying or deluded. Welcome to the world in which you live. The vast majority of humanity will say one thing and do another because they are double-minded and unstable in all of their ways. The beauty of this and the comfort of this is this has been true of humanity since the beginning. This has been true of humanity going all the way back to their exit from the garden because Adam and Eve have other sons and daughters and they have a multitude of people and they populate a planet so that people abound on the earth. And how many family lines do we follow through Genesis chapter 5? One. And we don't even follow the whole family. We don't follow Seth and all of his kids. We follow Seth and one of his kids. And then we don't follow that kid and all of his siblings and all of the children he had. We follow one of his kids. Just one. So all of these people are populating the earth, and we keep following one solitary paternal line. There has always been about a remnant, and the comfort needs to be in recognizing that at some point, God will usher in his kingdom and that things will be dealt with. Psalm chapter 6. Depart from me, all you who do iniquity. For the Lord has heard the voice of my weeping. The Lord has heard my supplication. The Lord receives my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and greatly dismayed. They shall turn back. They will be ashamed. 
That's a prayer of someone who's not living in a world populated by God's people, but living in a world populated by not God's people. And what's the comfort and the hope? Go ahead, mock now, but you better run while you still have a chance because judgment is coming. And for all of our hope for an entire salvation, and that is a well-placed hope in Christ, for all of that hope of a total salvation, we have to remember the other side of that coin, other side of that coin, there will be a total judgment. Sin will be dealt with. Not just sin, but all of its adherence and all of its effects. And none of that has changed. That's why Peter can tell you, 1 Peter 5, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, which is not now. Cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Even in the New Testament, walking as strangers in a strange land. That was 1 Peter chapter 2. When he gets to the end of the letter, he reminds you that God has not forgotten. God has not forsaken, that he cares for you, he walks with you, and he upholds you. Therefore, walk in faith. Walk differently, because we are different. <clears throat> so, one of my favorite Bible verses, verse 15. And this is actually one of my favorites, because the Israelites have cried out in their scarlet little hair voice. Moses has returned with his Charlton Heston voice, saying, God will fight for you, you keep silent. And God says... Why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. I just <laughs> um, There's the Egyptians over there, and, and there's the water over there. And God's answer is, yeah, what's your point? Well, you see, there's Egyptians there, and there's water there. Yes, so start marching. Into the water? <laughs> no question, no doubt, again. Pictures in your Bible, we have a now and a not yet that are both realities. Is Israel delivered? Yes. Have they been fully delivered from the presence of sin? No. Will Israel be saved? Yes. Is Israel saved right now? Sure doesn't feel like it when I got Egypt over there and the water over here. When Christ proclaims that it is finished, this is the reality which he places us. You have been saved by the work of Christ. You are saved now as you stand faithfully redeemed, sealed by the Holy Spirit. But you will be saved in eternity. And a lot of the times it's going to feel like you're doing a lot of walking with Egypt over there and the water over here. And God's answer is to do what? Walk. Walk. Again, if you're going to read one Bible verse at your funeral, what's it going to be? I don't care how rank of a pagan it is who has died. What one Bible verse are they going to have somewhere at that funeral? Psalm 23. Every funeral home's like, well, do you want us to put Psalm 23 in the back of the bulletin? I mean, <laughs> I think they just asked that. for They don't know what else to ask at this point. What's the verse everybody knows? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Christian, that's here. That's not just death. That's here and now. This is the shadow of the valley of death. Sin, corruption, a world led astray. We walk in the midst of it without fear. Why? Because we walk in the midst of it with God. We're supposed to be the giant children. Our dad can beat up your dad, so we don't care. <laughs> and we keep going. Because that's the answer. I mean, when Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees, he's like, you're of your father, the devil. You do what he did. I am not. I am doing the works of my father. Literally, my dad can beat up your dad. So get out of my way. It is 
finished. It was the same, same declaration from Christ, the same declaration we make. It's the same declaration God has made right here. What are you waiting at me for? Walk. Go through. And this is what Paul taught. This is what Peter taught. This is what Christ has taught. So, as for you, just in case you're really wondering, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. The sons of Israel, so, sons of Israel, say that three times fast. And don't turn to Sean Connery. Sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. See, there's a lesson here. It's the same lesson that the prophets taught, the same lesson to be learned throughout Israel. Same lesson, the reason why we have things in the Bible, Isaiah 45. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, and I will not turn back. That to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him, and all who were angry at him will be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. That kind of summarizes everything we've talked about so far, doesn't it? That was the prayer of Psalm 6, right? Put my enemies to shame. Run while you still can because your shame is coming in the judgment. What was Isaiah saying? All the enemies of God will be put to shame. I don't have to worry about you because I stand in Christ. Therefore, I am glorified. I will be redeemed. What's Isaiah warning? All those who follow after will be what? They will glory. And in the meantime, what should you be doing? Come to God before it is too late. Same lesson. Now, this is really cool. Uh, 19 and 20. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, and there was the cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. All right, go back to 19 real quick on the screen. Did you catch the distinction? There's two. The angel of God, who had been going before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them. That just got really cool. See, when we say God is leading the people, it's not just a pillar. There's a dude. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because if you ask the people, they'd have been like, who is that? Like, well, he looks like a guy, but we know it's not a guy, so that's the angel of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord appears at various places. Never appears in the New Testament. Only appears in the Old Testament. There's a reason for that. The angel of the Lord speaks for God as if he is God. The angel of the Lord doesn't command the angels of God. He commands his angels. The angel of the Lord doesn't speak on behalf of God. He speaks as though he were God. The reason you don't see the angel of the Lord in the New Testament is because Christ is the angel of the Lord. So the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire are what we call theophanies. Um, oh, my conjugations just went right out of my head. Um, Greek word theos for God, um, tha, is it phanero or phaneros? Ah! Uh, I'm gonna go with phanero is to appear or to make visible. It's the verb form. So a theos phanero would be smushed together, and that would be an appearance of God. In English, we take that word and we make it a theophany, an appearance of God. 
So like when you have an epiphany, it's like you know you have this great idea just appeared out of nowhere. A theophany is where God suddenly appears. So we have God who we can't normally see is now appearing as a pillar of cloud and appear and a pillar of fire. We also have what we call a Christophany, which would be an appearance of Christ, what we call a pre-incarnate Christ. So it's an appearance of Christ before the New Testament. Examples of this. God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Genesis 3. Does a spirit walk? No, people with feet and legs walk. That's a Christophany. Jesus is walking in the garden. Who sacrifices the animal and makes the clothes for Adam and Eve? When God speaks to Abraham before going down to Sodom and Gomorrah, he's standing there talking to him. Remember, three men enter into the camp. Only two angels go down into Sodom and Gomorrah. The angel of the Lord departs up. And yet it's God speaking with Abraham as the angel of the Lord. See how this works? That's a Christophany. Jesus is there appearing to Abraham, speaking to him. You have this here, which makes this worse for Israel. Because they're not just walking with a pillar. They're walking with, literally, walking with God. You, you want that V8 thing. You're like, you should have had your V8 today. You, you want to reach into your Bible and smack them. This is so cool. Now you can go to verse 20, because now it'll make more sense. So he goes, and it became, so it came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. Who also did this? The angel of the Lord, which means it's not just the pillar that's standing there, but who else is standing there? Jesus is. He has gone from leading them at the front to stop and turn around. As they're all going to cross, he's going to stand and wait. He's now the rear guard. It's what we call standing in the gap. Moses will do this later for the Israelites. It's what Abraham tried to do for the cities of the plain when he stood in the gap for Sodom and Gomorrah. He tried to mediate on their behalf. God, don't kill them. If there's just ten righteous, don't kill them. And God said, you're right. If there's ten righteous, I won't kill them. Problem was, no, not one. No, not one. Here, though, when Jesus stands in the gap, it is effective. Why? Because he is delivering his people, and the work that he does will be effective. So, I'll tell you that so I can tell you this. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on the right and their left. That's just cool. Now, I've made mention of this before. Uh, your secular scholars and your modern historians want to do 700 things for this. They want to say that it was the Sea of Reeds and it was some swampland, which again, if it's swampland and it's not that big of a deal to cross, then how does the water pile up on each side? Never been able to figure that one out, and they can't tell me either. The other one they try to give you, and I watched this really cool thing on it where they, they did the computer graphics, and I enjoyed it because I enjoy like uh, cool computer graphics for stuff, and they tried to explain how it was some sort of Mediterranean tsunami, and so that, you know, before you get a tsunami, the water at the coast all pulls away, right? And then at some point later on, it rushes back in. All right, problem with that. If this was a tsunami and the water pulled away, would there be water piled up on both their right and their left? No. What you've actually got is they're standing on the bank. Which way am I facing? Hold on. I'm facing south, right? Yeah, so, all right. So that's north. That's south. So that's east. All right. So, <laughs> so I've got water. And I've got Egyptians, and we got to go. So what happens is God literally just drives the wind into their face, and it carves a channel in the sea and pushes the waves with the water aside. As the little children's DVD puts it, with the fishes just staring at them. 
you often wondered that. Like, was it still enough that the fish are just like, could you reach in and grab one and like save it for dinner later? Again, I filed that under the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools. They, the water has been driven back. There is now a channel carved, and the effect of this would be that the ground is now hardened, right? Because blow some wind for a couple hours, carve out a channel. What's going to happen to the ground? Good and firm, which is good because you've ever walked on the bottom of a lake. That is not some good firm water. That's usually some stuff you sink in real quick. So here we go. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, and all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. All right. You want to learn to understand your Old Testament better, learn to ask questions. Anything that I have said in the last five to ten minutes not line up with that verse? Because it should, unless you've asked the question. Why didn't the Egyptians storm in and slaughter the Israelites while the wind was carving the channel through the sea? Because there was a pillar of cloud and Christ standing between them, separating. Now the Israelites have walked into the midst of the sea with the water piled up, and the Egyptians are going in after them, which means what happened? All right, go for it. Have fun. He let them. That's not good. Like anytime Jesus says, don't go, and you're like, but I really want to go. You shouldn't go, but I really, really want to go. It's not a good idea if you go, please. All right, fine. Something bad about to happen to you. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of Egyptians into confusion. What's the first step of, of sinful people? What's the first thing that goes wrong with them? Their brains don't work right. That's why they're double-minded and unstable in all their ways. What's the first judgment of God right here? I mean, how hard is it to go that way? I always ask this question. Cameron gives me a look every time I say it. But, like, you're driving down the interstate, and you just see a car, like, and it's just hits hit something like a sign or hit the guardrail. You know, the single car accident you see in the interstate? And I always ask the same question. What was it about going straight that messed you up? Especially in this area of the country, like in North Carolina and Virginia, South Carolina, there's some places in the interstate where it's like, what were you people thinking? Like they built an interstate around a swamp and there's actually curves in it. Out here, you can see the other end of the interstate like four states away because it's just. So I always wonder when I see a single car accident on the interstate, like what was it about just going that way that like, you couldn't handle? <laughs> Becca's like, it was a late night. Likewise, here with the Egyptians, what are you doing? We're following through the channel. Water piled up on their left and our right. It's not like you got to figure out directions. You can see the Israelites going through. So what are we doing? We're going that way. And now we're in confusion. What is there to argue about? And the answer is nothing, which means the confusion must come from God. Verse 25, he caused their chariot wheels to swerve. And he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. See, this is a double work here. That wind made the ground nice and firm for Israel, right? And yet at the same time, it's not nice and firm for Egypt. It should be, because especially once you march through about a million people, what should happen to that ground? It should be all nice and matted down, right? They used to have to 
before every game because they didn't make our pitcher's mound out of the right uh, dirt, which, believe it or not, this matters. You actually want a 70-30 clay-sand mixture for uh, pitcher's mounds because otherwise it gets too soft. And if you have sandy dirt when you make a pitcher's mound, every time that pitcher lands, you know what he does? He digs a hole. And every game, we used to have to bring in a little bit more clay and put it in there and tap it down. And we never – then the, 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 the tamp weight that we had broke, and I didn't have it, so you know what I'd do? I'd pull about eight kids out of warm-ups and just, just walk around on the mound. Just <laughs> grab all the freshmen and sophomores doing this on the pitcher's mound. Now just imagine a couple million people traveling through this ground doing that. This ground should have been like a brick. And instead now we're sinking up to our axles. Psalm 77. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth the sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings lit up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your path in the mighty waters. And your footprints may not be known. You led your people by like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. The Israelites described it like a storm. That didn't affect them, but did what to the Egyptians? This is why the Egyptians are freaking out and saying that the Lord, Yahweh, is fighting for them. Because they went through it, no problem. Why can't we? Yeah, remember that guy who sent the hail? And that, that guy who killed the livestock and turned the water to blood? Yeah, well, dude, we get killed our kid? Yeah, he's not done yet. So, verse 26, last two big chunks. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak. While the Egyptians were fleeing right into it, the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea, and the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them. Not even one of them remained. How quick would that have happened? I mean, you're holding back the waters on the right and to the left. What happens the minute you stop? I mean, this is where this is where Cecil B. DeMille doesn't do us any favors. Because if you're picturing this with, you know, Moses standing with his hands up, you know, Charlton Heston style, if you're picturing and this, they do the scene where the water crashes and they all scream and they Moses would have put his hand out and the waters would have been in and that nothing. Nothing. Like it's it's actually one of the things that's bizarre about being outside after a natural disaster is as a chaplain for the Baptist men, I had the misfortune of doing this several times of just being in the southeastern United States to get around, you know, tornadoes and, uh, and um, hurricanes a bit. It's creepy sometimes how quiet they are in the aftermath. I mean, it, it comes through and it's over and it's like nothing happened. And for every story of somebody's like, you know, the tornado, because they always find that one guy in the trailer park, it sounded like a freight train. For every story like that, you know, there's a hundred of them where they just, there was nothing. And you, always, you ever wonder, like, how does that work? There's this massive storm, and there's thunder and lightning, and this tornado's throwing cars and houses, and you didn't hear anything? And the answer is no. It's just nothing. Same thing. The water would have come back through, and it would have been over. There's a lesson here for the survivors. There's a lesson here for Israel as you're looking out. And I think James uh, summarizes it well. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. 
one of the things, again, we've talked about this before when it comes to this past year and the, the reality of so many people is that we don't day in and day out realize how fragile we are. And that's one of the reasons why getting older is a blessing is because it reminds you constantly just how fragile you actually are and how easily simple things can be taken from you. I mean, you can do, you can do the same thing day in and day out, day in and day out, and then all of a sudden it's like you moved wrong. I did the same thing I did yesterday, but today something broke. Why? Because it just did. Why? Because I am fragile and easily broken. I'm fragile and bruised easily, right? Part of that is a lesson from God, that you're not the end of things. You're not the, the terminus of your life. He is. You will survive. You will stand and fall based upon his word, based upon his promises based upon his goodness, not your own. And there's a lesson here for the Israelites because they're standing there watching and all of a sudden it's just, just done. Just, it's over just like that. And that's why you get the reaction you get. The sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea. The waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Notice that. They didn't record the cries. They didn't see the chariots. Just when do you notice what actually has happened? When the bodies start getting washed up. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I would hope so, right? I mean, what more do you want? What more could you ask? And again, this is part of the lesson of the New Testament, Hebrews 10. It's a terrifying thing to what? Fall into the hand of the living God. Egypt has been judged. Now that judgment is done. Israel on the other side of the Red Sea, are they worried about Egypt anymore? Should they be at least? No. Why not? Because it is done. It is dead. Anything you might have been afraid of is what? Being washed up on the seashore. Any doubt that you might have had about could God provide and could God protect should be where? It should also be washed up on the seashore. Because when he says, what are you crying out to me for? Walk! Into the water? Yes, into the water. Where did the water go? Wait a minute. He fought for us, and he delivered us, and he brought us out just like he said he would. Christian, that's the lesson going forward. That's the warning, because the vast majority of this world doesn't understand that. They don't believe it. They don't think they have anything to be saved from, because they don't think they've done anything wrong. They're double-minded, unstable in all their ways, and they will find people who will tell them that they are okay in their sin and delusion. We can't be that way, but we also have to be longing for the right thing, and the right thing is not always found here and now, and I would argue it's almost never found here and now. It is found in eternity. It is found in God's kingdom. That's why scripture finishes it up the way that it does in Revelation 22. John writes, he who testifies to these things says, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. See, that needs to be the cry every single day. That was the cry of Isaiah. You need to repent. When? Now. Why? Because there's still time. And in the same breath, Isaiah can say, I'm secure. You'll be put to shame. Lord, when you're ready. But in the meantime, repent while there's still time. This was the urgency of the New Testament. Why did Paul have the urgency that he had? Because he was convinced what? Any day now, God was ushering in the kingdom. Peter was convinced that any day now, God was ushering in the kingdom. The great saints of church history, you know what they all had in common? They were convinced that any day now, 
technology, time, medicine, they've made us soft. And not because they're not good for us or they don't make our world better, but they've made us complacent in this world because we start to think long term. Here, I'll ask it this way, because I am 39 years old, and for most of my life, 70 years is a long time. Jan, is 70 years a long time? <laughs> it, and you look back, and you remember when you were a kid and summer would hit? And you're like, about mid-July, you're going, I, I'm kind of ready for school again. I want to go back to school because I, I've done everything I'm going to do all summer, and I'm bored. <laughs> and you had them, yeah, give it a minute. You don't, you don't, you don't appreciate it well enough. But you, you had that moment, like, you know, about two weeks before school, you were actually excited again because some, and then it was about September, you were like, wait a minute, I remembered why I didn't like this place. <laughs> yeah, what happened? What was wrong with me? Because everything seems so big. And then you get a couple of decades on you and you start going, where did Tuesday go? Like, it was just Christmas. It's Valentine's Day. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to look up and go, it's Easter? What do you mean it's Memorial Day? I didn't even plan vacation. What do you mean it's summer? What do you mean I got to go buy salt for the driveway again? What, what just happened? Like I look up and it's like my kids are 10? When did that happen? How did that work? Time lies to you and so does the world. The faithful statement of the Christian is today might be the day. That's why I like the song. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. It's an Old Testament blessing. When we think that today might be the day, we view it differently. We don't think about 10, 20, 30 years down the road. Now, did I tell you not to plan? No. Make good plans. If you got a retirement and I didn't take cash it out, I mean, unless you just think that's wise, go for it. But at the same token, realize that while I plan just in case, I live today as if what? Today might be it. Today might be the day the Egyptian bodies start washing up on the seashore. Today might be the day that the kingdom is ushered in and those that are outside are weeping and gnashing of teeth. Therefore, I now have urgency. I now have a call to live holy, to be guided by the Spirit, to proclaim the excellencies of God, and to warn those who are lost because there is a judgment coming. The Exodus shows us this, and it shows us how many people fail because guess what we do really, really well? We fail when it comes to godliness. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace that he has given to us, by the testimony of his word, we can walk faithfully and succeed if we are willing to view our world rightly. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the testimony you've given that you have provided us this day to gather, that no matter what may befall us day in and day out, we can rejoice in you, knowing that your word is good and your kingdom is secure. Lord, don't let us grow, don't let us grow complacent, but let us be strong in you. Let us realize each and every day as a gift from you. And let us work diligently to honor that gift, to praise your great name, and to work for your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with his praise. I will save this good day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. 
has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter through his court with praise. I will say the good day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his court with praise. I will save it the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad, I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. We will rejoice for he has made me glad. Uh, just reminders, church council, so stick around if you can, please. Be in prayer for Mike this week. He's sitting in the back trying to get his back straightened out, so he's getting that round of injections. So pray that they will work. And again, keep in prayer for folks that are kind of snowed in and frozen in because I think that's a lot of our folks right now. It's just <laughs> it's cold, and I understand, but we carry on. Let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave this place, we ask that you strengthen us, guide us, ground us in your word, that we would be your faithful servants, building up your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.